Hi, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Christina Beckhold-Russ. I cover the UK and Europe for Samsung Next. Over the next several months, we'll be sharing interviews recorded at this year's Tech Open Air Conference in Berlin, where some of today's leading minds in technology gathered in early July. Each week, we'll highlight the human stories behind tomorrow's most groundbreaking innovations. On this episode, you'll hear from Cal Fussman, journalist and host of the podcast Big Questions, and Fabian Tausch, founder of the Young Entrepreneurs Program. Thank you very much. I think I need to clarify that the Young Entrepreneurs Podcast was a German one. Now the Digital Leaders Podcast is my new international uh, podcast. But uh, introducing Cal again, you're not only a New York Times bestselling author, you have your own podcast. You recalled some of the stories with Gorbachev, with uh, Muhammad Ali, with the president. John F. Kennedy. I, I meant the story oh, from the, Lyndon B. the letter Johnson. that you got back. Lyndon B. Johnson. Yeah. Lyndon B. Johnson. And first of all, thank you very much for joining. Thank you for having me. The first question I want to ask is not my own question. I asked Alex Benayan, with, uh, who you know quite well. He is the author of The Third Door. He is a really, really great guy and interviewed a lot of the world leading figures as well. And he said, ask Hal from me, what have you discovered about yourself in the last years? Well, my life has been completely changed in the last three years, ever since I met Alex, actually. Because uh, what happened was he had just dropped out of college uh, and he was wanting to write a book about the meaning of success. A little backstory, he was born to immigrant parents uh, and like a lot of immigrant parents, they want their kids to be doctors. So he was basically told from the time he was a kid, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. I don't know if you all are familiar with the holiday. We have Halloween, where everybody gets dressed up in costume and goes out and asks for candy. So his parents would dress him up as a surgeon when he was six years old to get candy, just so he would know, you are going to be a doctor. And then he got to university, and he had a big stack of biology books in front of him. And he realized, oh, I can't. I can't get through these books. I can't be a doctor. And it was very confusing to him. So he started to wonder about the meaning of success. And he would go to the library to figure out what was Bill Gates doing when he was my age? What was Lady Gaga doing when she was my age? Or these people who are very successful. And he couldn't find the answers in the library. And so he decided to write a book the very book that he wanted to read. And he went off to do that thinking, oh, I can send an email to Bill Gates and he'll take my interview request. And Oprah Winfrey and a lot of famous people, Bill Clinton, and nobody would. Well, finally, Bill Gates did. But it took him a long time to realize that writing a book is very difficult. And that was right about the time where I met him. And so I helped him learn to write, but he did something amazing for me. He looked at me and said, well, how come you're not on the internet? And I said, well, I'm like an old school guy. And he said, but you don't understand. If you're not on the internet, you don't exist. And I said, what do you mean I don't exist? I'm right here. 
And he said, no, no, to anybody who's young, if we can't Google your name and see like a Wikipedia entry or a website or you on Twitter or Instagram, then you just don't exist. So he actually was the one who pushed me to head, he got me a Twitter account and that led me actually to start to speak. I'd never spoken before I met Alex. Never would have been on the stage here today if not that I decided to help him write a book. And once I got on the stage and other people saw, and these were the stories I was telling at parties on Fridays or Saturday nights. I didn't think anything of them other than, all right, let's have a good time. I'll tell you some stories. But all of a sudden, I get up on stage and now companies are asking me to speak in conferences. And so my whole life changed in the last three years. And now I am like reaching out to you all uh, because what I'm finding is that in many cases, especially for engineers and the people who are creating the technology that's moving us forward, they're busy coding and they're not telling stories, but they need to tell stories. And I'll give you some examples. Oftentimes when the engineers want to do products or what they want something, they have to go to a CEO or somebody to get the money for it. In order to do that, they got to tell a story and they got to tell it short in a way that the CEO is going to understand. And if they can't do it, they don't get the money. And so there are a lot of people in tech that seem to need help in this area. And so I'm here to help. And that's completely changed my life and going from interviewing all these famous people to now trying to help companies tell their stories. And for the same reason that I told everybody during my talk, and was asking everybody in this room to think about telling your own stories because when you can do that, you can lift yourself and companies in ways that are almost incomprehensible and change so many lives. I've never done anything as impactful in my life that I'm doing now. You talked about coaching and mentoring Alex to write a book and I think also in general. Is there somebody that you give credit to regarding your life, your career? Well, it probably starts with that story I told about the president answering my letter. It seems strange, but if that letter hadn't been passed along to get to the president's office to his personal secretary, Juanita D. Roberts, maybe I wouldn't be here today. I don't, I don't know what would have happened, but I knew as soon as I got a letter back, that my life was going to be framed by questions. And every step of the way has just been more curiosity and more questions. Was it that way or that moment when you realized that things are coming together? Or was there some other moment maybe later in your life that you realized, okay, what I'm doing and uh, traveling the world, and you can expand on that a bit more, everything I'm doing is coming together here? I don't know how many people in the room have a similar experience. Like 
do you know or did you know from an early age what you were going to do with your life? It didn't hit me till I turned 60. First time I spoke, it was through a friend of Alex's on a boat filled with entrepreneurs. There were 4,000 entrepreneurs. Nobody else was on the boat. And I couldn't, the energy on this boat was unbelievable because entrepreneurs, as soon as they meet you, it's like, hey, what do you do? They, like, they're looking to make a connection to somehow make money. And I've never been in a place where you get into an elevator and nine people are sticking their hands out, wondering what you do and how they can figure out a way to make money off it. And it was on that boat that I gave my first talk. And everything after that changed. Talking about this boat and the speech you gave, what story did you tell them? Well, two women, young women came to me and said, like, Cal, Cal, we, you got to help us because we just started this company and we try to hire the right people and we're just not bringing the right people in. They don't share our passion. What questions can we ask to find out how passionate they are so that we know we should hire them. I said, oh, that's easy. So just ask the Dr. Dre question. And they said, like, Dr. Dre question? I said, yeah. When I was interviewing Dr. Dre, I once asked him, what's the longest you have ever gone working on a project without sleep? And he said, oh, wow. That's when I'm deep into a project. I don't even think about sleep. I don't. I can't bear to lose a moment because something creative might be there that will never appear again. And so I, I think he told me it was something like 70 hours or whatever. And I said, just ask that question. Now, you, you don't need the person to respond like Dr. Dre, but the answer is going to give you a clue into who the person is. If the person says, well... I always get eight hours sleep a day. Maybe that's good for an accountant, but you might not find the same passion that you're looking for. You're looking for somebody who stayed awake for a while and just was driven to do something that they really cared about. And so that's when I started to discover that people in business could use better questions. And it was after that that I discovered how deeply companies needed their stories told. What key components would you say make a good story? One of the most confusing things to a company, if it tries to make itself the hero of the story, because it can't be the hero of its own story because the hero is vulnerable. So the company has to look for other ways to tell the story. Maybe it's the customer who's vulnerable and is trying to figure something out in life and is moving through obstacles and not getting very far. But the company has just the product that that vulnerable character has and can then come in as a mentor. Has everybody seen the movie, The Karate Kid? In that movie, you've got Daniel, he's the young kid, 
And you, you just think about it. He moves across the country. He's all alone. He wants a girlfriend. He's with his mom. He's really kind of lost. And then he meets a girl. And you're thinking, oh, things could be looking up. But then the girl is just broken up with kind of a bad boyfriend who's attached to a gang of people in a karate dojo that is just a bad group of people. And you see there that Daniel's got a problem. And the next thing you know, Daniel's on his bicycle riding away from these guys who want to beat him up. And he just barely squeaks into his house and Mr. Miyagi is there. And like in that moment, if you think of Mr. Miyagi as a company, it's okay. What can we do? What can we pass on to help Daniel? In this case, I'm going to teach you karate. And you immediately start to see the progression. The first thing that Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel, he takes him over to a car and he asks him, wax on, wax off. And so now we see this kid who was on a bicycle is now at a car. It's like a transformation to manhood. It's no different when a company wants to tell its story. The company is Mr. Miyagi in a sense, looking for the vulnerable character who has troubles. Company's product is the mentor that's going to take the vulnerable character through the obstacles to a transformation. But a lot of companies don't see that. They see themselves as the hero and that story just can't play out. I think a lot of people now have to rethink their brand story and what they're telling and communicating. As you mentioned, a lot of people just try to be the hero themselves. And it's, it's a very interesting perspective and angle on that. One thing that I would love to cover and give as background information for the room as well, because not everybody who is sitting here, but also not everybody who's listening to the podcast knows it. Train rides have a really, really big role in your career. Like how or why are train rides so much attached to your career? What happened was when I was young, as you know, I got the letter from the president. So I knew I was going to be a, a writer and I was going to ask questions from the time I was seven. It was my goal. Back then, we had newspapers and we had three TV stations. There, there was no internet. You could only really express yourself if you went to a big company that owned the newspaper or a big company that owned the television station or a big company that published books. So my goal was to be the columnist in a newspaper. I wanted to see my face there and say whatever I wanted to say. It was kind of like being the mayor of a town and you could get to meet all the athletes or famous people that you wanted to meet and go to the restaurants after and have a good time. And so that was my goal. See my face in a column in a newspaper. And by the time I was 22, I had achieved my goal. I then got offered a job to work for an amazing magazine in New York where they were bringing in the best writers. And I was so young, but 
for me, just to be in this place where all these great writers would come in and we'd go to the bar and throw back shots. I don't know how many people know of the writer Hunter S. Thompson. He's kind of a famous writer back in the day. He like would take a lot of drugs and <laughs> write these crazy books. And so I would find myself sitting next to him, throwing back shots at the bar. And it was, every day was an event. Who are we going to meet today? What great sporting event is going to happen that I'm going to get to go to? And all of a sudden, this magazine went out of business. It was a creative success, but not commercial. And I looked around and said, oh man, what am I going to do now? Am I going to go back to kind of a nine to five job? I don't, I don't know. After I had this, I don't know where to go. So I called up my mom and dad and I told them that I'm thinking of taking off and traveling around the world. And my mother thought this was a great idea because the ticket that I bought, I think was for six weeks. I didn't come back for 10 years. I just would go. And the funny thing is, or the ironic thing, or coincidental thing, it started with Oktoberfest in Munich. (laughs) That opened the door. (laughs) And I had very little money. And so the guy that I met at Oktoberfest is a friend of mine. He told me that he had just been through Italy. He had also worked for the same magazine, so it went out of business. And not only that, but he was in a bad marriage, so he wanted to get away. And I don't know what happened, but he went to Italy, and he walked up to the train station, and he just asked for the next ticket. Whatever bus is going out, just that's what I want. And it took him to a place he didn't even know where it was. And he just got out and he started walking and a crazy guy picked him up and brought him into town. And he spent a week there. The whole town just took him in. It was a real little town in Italy. And so after he had this experience in a little town called Castle Viscardo, he came back to Munich and said, you got to come with me to Castle Viscardo. You know, it was like, We went to Castle Viscardo, and as we're coming in, his name was Gary. Like the whole town just started going crazy, like, Gotti, Gotti. And everywhere we went, there was just drinks came out and pasta and bread. And I said, Man, I got to do this too. And so Gary went back to the States, but I kept the same strategy. I would just get on trains and buses and look for empty seats. And I got, I started to get good at understanding which seats to sit in based on the people who would be sitting next to me. Because I had very little money and basically I knew, or I I gotta choose just one of those seats. And because once I sit down, a conversation's gonna start. And once a conversation starts and moves along and we get to the last stop, basically, I need that person to invite me home. Because <laughs> I, otherwise I had no money to stay in hotels or pay for food. And I got great at 
having people invite me home. And then after a while, once I got into somebody's home, they would invite their family and their friends and their distant relatives over. And then those people would invite me to their homes. So it's a shame that there was no iPhone then. And I didn't really take notes because like I had a network to just keep like moving from one city to the next, to the next. And people pretty soon, it was Calvino when I would walk into a town and people would want to listen to my stories or they would want to tell me their stories, even when we can hardly talk the same language. It was almost like charades, uh, a, a game you play to try and guess words through your actions. But you find that, especially at that time, this is before the internet, you'd go into a small town in Europe, in, in Hungary, and people in a small town, they, can't, they often can't tell their secrets because they don't want everybody to know their business. But if somebody comes in from the outside, they can tell those stories. And they didn't have to worry that they were going to go up on the internet. They basically were telling me what happened in their life and their feelings. And then I would leave. And so I was basically passed from dinner table to dinner table to dinner table uh, for about 10 years. And let me tell you how seriously I took this. When I get on these trains and buses, if I was walking down that aisle and I saw an empty seat next to a beautiful woman, I mean, like, I'm, she's smiling at me. There are no rings on her fingers. She could be a supermodel. I just walked right by her because I knew there was no way she was taking me home. <laughs> so I would, like, look for grandmoms and people who would, who would think of inviting me home. And that's where these adventures went. I don't know how it's going to be when I get on the train in Munich to Munich tomorrow morning, uh, because now like people wear earbuds. And I'm going to be curious to see whether I could get through the earbuds. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm feeling like this is the start of the victory lap. We'll see what happens next. As everything is about questions in your life, let's um, open up. So please raise your hand and ask questions. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I was wondering, do you ever miss writing? Um, well, Because you don't get to write as much anymore, right? You know, what happens is I have a podcast called Big Questions. And I write out the introductions to my podcasts. So mine are a little more literary. I'll, I'll tell you what's going on in my life. Because what's happened is this whole adventure that you touched on when you asked the first question has turned me from a journalist into an entrepreneur and now a CEO. Now, granted, I'm the CEO of a company of one person, but still, <laughs> I'm the CEO. And this has been mind-blowing to me. As a writer, I was never able to delegate anything. When you're a writer, 
only you can go and ask the questions and get the answers. And only you could sit down and put your fingers on the keyboard and type what you want to say. Whereas when you're the CEO, it's, hey, take care of this, do that. And I, I didn't know how to do it. I'm only now learning how to call somebody up and ask them to do work and then cut a deal. It may seem very simple to you, uh, but to me, this is very foreign. And so I'm having to learn to do all these things I've never done before, principally to like go on the internet, to go on LinkedIn. I just put my first LinkedIn video up this week. Nice. And it's a remarkable time because now I'm trying to learn everything that everybody in this room knows without even thinking. But it's beautiful uh, because generally whoever I ask helps, except my daughter. <laughs> you mentioned that you have a lot to learn from people like entrepreneurial minded. But I think maybe other way around, I think we as People who grew up with internet have a lot to learn from other generations that haven't. And like your story of traveling is super fascinating. And do you think there is like a need to maybe bridge different generations? A million percent. I think that the best thing that could happen is for this cross-generational mentorship to unfold uh, because I need you all as much as you might need the storytelling or connecting with an individual that you just meet. Now, I, I, again, I don't know what's going to happen if they got earbuds in. We'll, we'll have to see. It may be that connecting is just different now because we're getting isolated. Uh, but it's, it's good to know that generally you have like three seconds to make a connection with somebody. That's in three seconds, they're deciding whether they're going to be open to what you have to say. And it's important to also know that that is not only based on the words you say, because communication is 10% the actual words. 30% is your tone of voice and 60% is your body language. So the way you move, the way the tones that you speak in, those are all huge in getting somebody to open up. But I remember I went to a business school and I spoke and afterward, an entrepreneur came to me and she said, oh, I got this amazing invention. You're, wait till you see this. It's, it's this system so that when people are sitting at the same table at conferences, they can communicate with each other over their phones. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like if they're sitting next to each other, can't they just like turn and say hello? And she said, but they will never do that. <laughs> This will allow them to communicate. And then after they go back and forth for a few minutes, then they might be able to turn to each other and say something. And then that's when I started saying, all right, I got to take a journey into this new world because it's 
it's hard for me to understand the world that you're living in. Uh, and, and I'm diving into the internet now to understand it. And I think it would be great for young people to dive back in my direction and to see what they could take. And it can start with just being at a family meal. And instead of going in to say the same things, going in with a question that's never been asked at the table and seeing where it leads. You might be shocked. Thank you for all the time uh, that you brought with you and all the stories that I think everybody loved hearing here. And if you want to listen to more of uh, Kel's interviews and stories, then you should definitely check out the podcast you mentioned already, Big Questions with Kel Fussman. And thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What's Next. We're currently releasing a new episode every week from this year's Tech Open Air Conference in Berlin. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com forward slash podcast. I'm your host, Christina Beckhold-Russ. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King, Laura Flynn, and Eliza Lambert with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we would love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email, podcast at samsungnext.com. Cheers.